This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. I feel like every year, once January 1st hits, it's like, okay, I'm going to stop. There's some people who are able to do that, and I applaud them to do so, to just cut cold turkey. But I feel like alcohol has been a part of my life and solely it. And just to cut that out completely has been such a struggle. Welcome to How To, the show where listeners write to us with their toughest questions and we talk it out with the wisest people we know. I'm Courtney Martin. Have you noticed Americans just aren't drinking like they used to? On the one hand, the younger generation appears to be drinking less, and there's a cool rise in non-alcoholic beverages and sodas and even like whole bars devoted to socializing without booze, something I could have never imagined a decade ago. It feels like it's never been so normal to be sober. On the other hand, the pandemic threw a lot of us into a dark place. Women especially started drinking more to cope. And we've seen the rise of these identities that go along with that, you know, the wine mom and the craft beer bro. Even though research shows that too much alcohol can be bad for us, six in 10 Americans drink, and a third of those that do say they drink more than they should. Now listen, I'm not calling people out, I can relate. I myself am one of those people who wants to reset my relationship with alcohol in this post-ish pandemic moment. But as I've looked out for resources, I found it interesting how much of the public conversation about drinking revolves around either abundance on the one hand or total abstinence on the other. Meanwhile, a more searching conversation, you know, a conversation about moderation, for example, just seems missing, which is where Rosamond Dean comes in. I'm a journalist and the author of Mindful Drinking, How Cutting Down Can Change Your Life. (laughs) And the reason that I wrote the book is because there are a lot of books and resources out there for people that want to stop drinking completely. But in my experience, lots of people don't want to stop drinking completely. They just want to be a bit more in control of their relationship with alcohol. Perhaps the most visible indicator that people are looking to change their drinking habits is the popularity of Dry January, a challenge where people abstain from drinking for the month. Now, to be honest, I've never been a big believer in New Year's resolutions. I find the idea of temporary abstinence kind of uninspiring. It's like a small dose of purity that usually fizzles before any real transformation. But what does long-term moderation even look like? For some, it means... A glass of wine without feeling the desire to polish off the bottle or an evening out with their friends without needing to drink. So I guess it's you have this sense of control over alcohol rather than it controlling you. And in some ways, mindful drinking is more difficult than complete abstinence. Because if you're a person who doesn't drink, then you've made one decision, you don't drink and that's it. Whereas if you're a mindful drinker, then, you know, every single day, it's 
is this one of my drinking days? Am I going to drink? What am I going to drink? How much am I going to drink? What am I going to say to anyone who tries to pressure me into drinking tonight? It's a lot more decisions. Rosamond, I know this wisdom that you're bringing to us, thank goodness, is very hard earned. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey with drinking? I spent, I would say, my teens and my 20s and quite a lot of my 30s (laughs) being probably just a normal British woman. The drinking culture here in the UK is very, very prevalent. It was all around me all the time. And um, I remember when I had kids in my mid-30s, I thought, because I didn't drink during pregnancy, and I thought, oh, I I can do this. This is it. I'm going to change my whole drinking behaviour. I'm going to be a super healthy teetotal person after having children. And then as soon as you have a baby, then it turns into, you know, mummy wine time and you go out with your old friends and you want to prove that you haven't changed since having kids. It was actually when I was on maternity leave with my second child that I wrote Mindful Drinking because I wanted to find a way to change my relationship with alcohol because I had realised that you can't just do it through willpower. You can't just say, right, I'm going to drink less from now on. You need to have a plan and you need to have a kind of structured method. It won't happen by itself because it is hard, but it is doable. On today's show, Rosamond is going to share the plan that helped her transform a desire for moderation into real life mindfulness. And she'll help a listener do the same. Meet Natalie. I can go a couple of days without drinking. And then if I have a stressful day at work or my personal life, I immediately open a bottle of wine and one glass turns into two glasses and then the third glass. And then that's the part where I struggle, where it's either I don't hold myself accountable to it or it just puts me into the position where it's like, maybe this isn't for me or maybe I just don't know how to do it. And let's be sure to put this right out there. Alcoholism is real and dangerous and so widespread. If you think you might be an alcoholic and need help, we'll add a link and a number to a free national hotline in the show notes. And listen, AA is literally everywhere. But for those of you who, like me, just want to be more discerning about when and how we drink, this is your episode. We'll continue that conversation right after the break. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast, or find it wherever you listen. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. 
The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. As I mentioned earlier, I'd been wanting to do an episode about rethinking our relationship to drinking, which is why I was so grateful to hear that our listener, Natalie, was wondering the same thing. I grew up with alcohol my whole life as a first-generation Mexican-American, from baptism to sweet 15s through any kind of celebration, honestly. And then I took that into my adult life. I live in Philadelphia, and I'm a pastry chef. Especially working in the restaurant industry didn't really help out. Um, in your early 20s, it's kind of fun. But then once you hit 30s, and you go out for drinks with coworkers, it's not so much fun. There are so many reasons to drink, and I think that's one of the things that gets lost in the binary conversation that's like abstinence or, you know, free-flowing alcohol, yeah. is that there's celebration, right? You mentioned baptisms and family gatherings, and, you know, we often associate alcohol with celebration. We also associate it with stress relief. I'm someone who definitely drinks to relieve some anxiety. So can you talk a little bit about what you've noticed about when and why you drink? I'm definitely someone that is um, shy, <laughs> mm. kind of quiet, and I don't know how to to just talk and have a normal conversation with someone. It's kind of hard for me to do that, to open up. And, you know, I take a sip of beer or wine and I start to loosen up. I want to be able to to be myself without having to rely on something. I feel like my partner is one of those people who are able to just, you know, have a beer and just chill at the bar and make conversations. And I, I look at him and I'm like, I feel a little jealous because mm -hmm. um, I can't do that without relying on that beer to just make me feel at ease. This might seem like an obvious question, but why do you want to be able to be at ease without the beer? Like, what about that is important to you? Um, just for people to get to know me. I always have this thing in my head where, like, people don't find me interesting or maybe I'm boring because I'm quiet. Um, or maybe feel like, oh, she doesn't want to be here. Like, why is she here if she's not, you know, having fun or drinking? Natalie, I think your story is so relatable. So many of us have never socialised sober, which is mad when you think about it. So it really is a kind of a relearning, a re-education to have a mindset shift away from thinking that you have to, because you don't. You definitely, you definitely don't need alcohol as much as you think you do. But I know that it will take a while for you to believe that. And 
alcohol is a drug and it's very, very effective at what it does. So if you have a sip of alcohol when you feel stressed, it, it does immediately hit those neurons in your brain to calm you down. And it does help loosen up your inhibitions when you're in a social situation. So it is really, really hard to cut down. So I think the first thing is to acknowledge how hard it is. That doesn't mean you can't do it. You definitely can do it. But first of all, you need to say, this is a hard thing that I'm doing. Because I think so many people look around them and they see others having a more mindful relationship with drinking. And they think, why can't I do that? I've failed. Alcohol has got this power over me. I've, I've got no willpower. And kind of blame themselves. And it's so easy to go into that kind of shame spiral but it's just, it's such a waste of time because it's much easier to learn from the experience and move on, you know, don't beat yourself up over it. And I, I feel like already you've got a really amazing level of self-awareness where you know the role that alcohol fulfills in your life. That's almost the most difficult step because once you can identify that, then you can identify other things that can help fulfill that same role in your life. It's like, right, these are the things that I know help me manage stress. Alcohol is definitely one of them. Can I feel that urge to drink and kind of surf the urge, feel it, not give into it, and at the same time try doing some of these other things that might help? I think that's a, that's a really good approach for drinking at home. Social situations are kind of a whole different ball game. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm hearing you say first is really deeply admitting that alcohol is addictive. You know, we have all the science on it and having some serenity around that in terms of undoing this relationship with shame seems like such an important first step. Um, and then second, which, you know, Natalie, it feels like you're already um, pretty far through is really asking yourself, OK, what is my relationship with alcohol? When do I drink and why do I drink? Natalie, how do you feel about when you hear Rosamond describe the management piece versus abstinence? What comes up for you? Oh, definitely relatable. <laughs> it's a constant everyday decision. I work during the week, so I would come home, I would say around midnight, and the urge to just have a beer, <laughs> have mm -hmm. a glass of wine. And then in my head, I'm like, well, I'm off on Saturday, so I guess I can drink more because I deserve it, that's where I think I fail because I feel like I do good during the week. And now I made that conscious decision of like having more than two drinks because I can. There's so much language, which I think is so common, Natalie, when you speak that feels almost religious, honestly, <laughs> but it's very like, you're good, you deserve it. You're ashamed because you did bad. I think so many people relate to that. Rosamond, is there some way to like decouple your behavior around alcohol from this like character sort of assassination <laughs> that we do to ourselves? <laughs> and we do it with so many behaviors, not just drinking alcohol. You see this a lot with food as well. I've been good today or bad today. It helps more to think of them as helpful or unhelpful habits. They all serve a purpose. It's not just you not having any willpower and being kind of out of control. It's helping you manage your stress or it's like a, a 
comfort blanket for you in some ways. So it's kind of acknowledging that those less helpful habits have a role and they are helping you in some way, but you can find more helpful habits that might do the same thing. I think it really helps to replace habits rather than just try and stop something without putting anything in its place. Okay, let's pause for a moment here. So the first step is asking ourselves, when do I drink and why do I drink? Is it to relieve stress, to deal with social anxiety, to celebrate? It's hard to cut back if you don't first have an accurate, kind of more granular idea about how you're using alcohol in the first place. That nuanced awareness is the seed of using alcohol differently. That's a very different approach than abstinence-oriented programs, which often push people to see themselves as powerless in the face of alcohol. I've tried AA meetings. I've also tried um, this program called Smart Recovery. It's mostly loose space. Anyone can just come in and just talk about anything. I find like all, especially where I live in Philadelphia, most AA meetings tend to be very religious, and I am not, (laughs) so... It's very hard to find something that actually works for you. There's a lot of interesting literature and, um, you know, conversation now about the ways in which AA has some real patriarchal context to it, you know, created during sort of the Mad Men era by white men. So there's a lot about humbling yourself and and to your point, Natalie, the focus on religion. Um, So I think there are so many people for whom AA works beautifully, but also so many people for whom it doesn't. Rosamond, will you tell us a little bit about how you think about structure um, and kind of a way of approaching this with a little bit more of, I don't know if you call it a program, but, you know, your way of being intentional about it? Yeah, absolutely. I would say it is good to have a complete break from alcohol, which is why initiatives like Dry January or Sober October are so effective. If you don't drink during that month, then you've got an easy reason. Oh, I'm doing dry January. It's an easy excuse. Even if your ultimate goal is moderation, it's good to have a break, if only to prove that you can, to be honest, and also to reset your tolerance. And then the tools that you learn from that kind of, I would say a month is a great amount of time, but even two weeks would help. The tools that you learn during that time will really set you up for moderation. Okay, give yourself a reset period of two weeks to a month where you practice abstinence and learn more about what alternatives work for you. When you get stressed, does a cup of tea chill you out or calling an old friend for a quick chat? Walk around the block, that's my favorite. Once you've experimented a little with alternatives, you're ready to reintegrate drinking with a more mindful approach. Rosamond recommends coming up with a plan for the week ahead. When might a drink feel right, given your schedule? That way, you're not deciding on the spot. And Rosamond found that a guideline of drinking only three nights a week and having three or less drinks in one go was the right ratio for her. It's her rule of threes. Preparation is everything. If you walk into a social situation thinking, oh, I'm just going to drink less tonight, then it's too vague and it you won't, basically. Especially because once you have one or two drinks, then all your self-control goes out the window. So you really have to like look at your week and say, I'm only going to drink on a maximum of three days this week. What are they going to be? And on those days, who am I going to see? What am I going to drink? What am I going to say after one or two drinks? 
but just have it all planned out so that you don't find yourself in a situation where you're at the bar and someone just orders a bottle of wine for the group and hands you a glass and that the decision's kind of taken out of your hands. You have to seize control of it. What I love about your model is if you say to yourself, for example, the rule of three that you've introduced, like, okay, I'm looking at the week ahead. If there were three moments that would feel pleasurable and and celebratory to drink, what might they be? Then it means when you have that drink, you get to be really into it, right? You get to be like, ooh, I'm having this beer and it's so cold and wonderful and I know I'm not going to have 10 of them this week. So this is like a special moment. Um, It seems like the approach that you're recommending actually helps us get back in touch with the beauty of alcohol in a certain way. The enjoyment of drinking is such an important such an important message because if we just dismiss that then it's like we're dismissing a really important element mm-hmm. of why people like to drink when i go out now i i would treat myself to one really lovely cocktail rather than having a bunch of cheap white wine and another thing that is really good to mention here is there are so many really nice alcohol free drinks that can just seamlessly fit into a drinking situation so, you know, kombucha in a flute looks like champagne. Yeah. Or a, an alcohol-free spirit like Seedlick or Liars. One of it, like, If you have that with tonic, it's, it's like a G&T. And an alcohol-free beer obviously looks like a beer. I think you will actually be amazed at how much easier it is when you look like you're drinking and when you have something that replaces the sense of ritual and just the thing of having having a drink in your hand. It feels celebratory. It's kind of mind-blowing how much it's not necessarily about the alcohol. That's hard to believe unless until you've actually done it. Until you've actually done it. But it, it is, even at home, that kind of opening a cold drink and having like the yeah. sort of opening the bottle, that feeling alone can help you sort of switch off and be like, oh yeah, this is my time now, work's over. And if it's like a lovely alcohol-free drink that you're having at home it it almost fulfills the same role so don't underestimate the power of having good alcohol-free drinks natalie have you tried that and or are you buying this or are you like no i need the chemical (laughs) relaxation of the drink um i think the idea of having a can in your hand like a seltzer i feel like that feeling of like fizziness and coldness and just kind of gives you like a rush. (laughs) And that makes me go through the day without thinking about like, I don't really need to drink (laughs) right now. I think there are moments where I do kind of rely on like that buzz feeling Mm -hmm. that a drink does give you. Yeah. And maybe that's part of the, you know, if you can look at your week ahead with the anticipation of when is a moment when the actual chemical experience of real alcohol would be helpful. And there's that word helpful, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, One thing I wanted to ask you, Natalie, does the rule of three, as Rosamond was describing it, feel like within your reach? How does it strike you when she describes it? It does. It's something that I've on my own been wanting to do or do do sometimes in a week. There are a lot of times where I get asked by my coworkers to go out for drinks, like, on a Tuesday and I'm like, listen, Natalie, like you're not 20. <laughs> you're not going to go out tonight. So if I do go out, it's either Friday or Saturday, but it sucks that 
after work, that's when we have time to socialize over alcohol. <laughs> right, right. Well, and your story points out, and, and so does yours, Rosamond, so clearly how alcohol is something we could kind of map onto our life cycle, right? And that there's like a way in which you drink and party if you do drink in your 20s that when you start to get into your 30s, you're kind of like, okay, I, I'm not sure this still fits both my physical capacity, but also just sort of the life I'm trying to create for myself. And then when you have kids, if you have kids, there's that other moment of like alcohol takes on a different role in your life. And do you like that role? And so it seems like Rosman, this is something you have to continually revisit depending on sort of the season of life. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And season of life changes everything. But it is good to have kind of rules for yourself throughout it all. So if you have something in your mind, like, like for instance, if I drink, it's going to be celebratory and sociable. So I have a rule that I don't drink alone and I don't use alcohol to deal with difficult or stressful situations because that's one of the most common reasons why people drink, right? Because of stress and anxiety and it never makes it better ever. It just, you know, the next day you still have whatever you were stressed or anxious about, but now also a hangover as well. And as we know, alcohol exacerbates anxiety in the long term. That's why people talk about anxiety. <laughs> and also, I would say a really good thing to do at the beginning is just get really, really clear on why you want to cut down on how much you drink. And we kind of talked about this earlier, and I actually found it really moving when you said for people to see the real you because that that's so I think that's so powerful because when you do drink less or if you are able to have sober socializing occasions then you really realize the benefits of having your wits about you in a social situation you can remember people's names what's going on in their lives you know you have more meaningful conversations rather than kind of drunkenly talking over them or not really listening you know it makes you a better friend so I think that's a really, really good thing to keep in mind. Obviously, there are loads of other benefits of drinking less from, you know, better skin, more energy, less anxiety, more restorative sleep, weight loss, stronger immune system, you know, a smaller risk of lots of diseases, including cancer. So there are so many reasons it's good to kind of hone in on the one that's really important to you and keep that in mind. Okay. We're going to take a break here, but when we come back, we're going to talk about taking all of this planning and putting it to the test out in the inebriated wild. Stay with us. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. All right, we're back with our listener, Natalie, and Rosamond Dean, the author of Mindful Drinking. Rosamond, will you take us into that scenario you 
briefly touched on of like someone orders the bottle of wine, hands you a glass. Cause I imagine one of the preparations needed is a script, like some kind of, what are you going to say in that moment? And Natalie, I imagine you and I are similar in that. Like, I want to seem fun. It's hard to say no with friends who are used to you drinking and hard to know how to phrase why you're not drinking, especially yeah. if you're not being abstinent. Cause it's one thing to say like, I've stopped drinking, but if you're actually just trying to cut down, I mean, I guess you could just say, now that I'm saying that a lot, I'm like, you could just say, I'm trying to cut down. Um, but somehow it feels like this can of worms yeah. to me that I like don't exactly know how to deal with. Natalie, do you relate or am I rambling here? Oh no, totally relate. So for some reason, like when you say, oh, I'm not drinking, it's like, oh, there's no questions asked. But the fact that you're like, oh, but why are you deciding to cut down? It's a whole other question. Like, I, I actually haven't even really been in that kind of situation because I'm afraid to even try that when most of the people that I do hang out with either go on a binge drink or have two or three drinks. I would say it really depends on your friends and who you're going to see that night. So I have friends that I could say to them, look, I'm really trying to cut down on drinking. I'm just going to have one tonight. Can you kind of help me out here? And they, you know, kind of get them on side at the beginning. I have other friends that, to be honest, I pretend to drink when I'm with, when I'm with them, <laughs> which sounds crazy. But I, you know, I say I'll get the first round in and I just get myself a tonic when I'm getting them a gin and tonic. If we're sharing a bottle of wine in a group, I just kind of have my glass of wine and don't really drink it. And I just don't make a thing of it because I know that they're the kind of friend who would say, why aren't you drinking? Come on, chill out. Why is my birthday not important enough to be one of your drinking days? You know, they kind of take it really personally. And I think that says a lot about them. And it says a lot about the kind of emotional connection that so many of us have with drinking. Yes. Well, and I feel like people project when you say I'm cutting down drinking, or if you were to say I'm stopping drinking, it forces people to reflect on their own behavior and they don't want to do that, you know? So it's like there's a way in which you're just stepping into the middle of a lot of people's insecurities when you choose to cut down yourself, which is hard. That is so interesting about just appearing to drink. Um, I never would have thought of that. Natalie, have you ever tried that? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there's an experiment for us. Um what about accountability partners, Rosamond? Because I'm thinking about Natalie, your boyfriend, and I didn't do dry January, but I tried to cut down drinking this month. And one of my friends and I decided to do that together. So we would leave each other little voice texts and say like, okay, I drank twice this week and this is when, and this time felt good, this time didn't. I found it really supportive. Um, do you have any recommendations about people, you know, linking up with someone and doing it together, the mindful drinking approach? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Natalie, your boyfriend sounds like a nice guy. I think you could probably you could probably have a chat with him and say, oh, tonight I'm going to really try to like just have one drink. Let's see if I can do it and kind of make it into a challenge that he's going to help you out with. And also, I feel like once you start talking to other people about this, you'll realise that more of your friends than you thought are interested in trying to cut down their drinking as well. Quite often you'll find that people say, oh yeah, yeah, I really want to do that too. Let's do it together. And another thing I'd really recommend is downloading some kind of tracking app on your phone. There are so many of them. And um, just ticking off your alcohol-free days 
it's it's strangely satisfying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, since you're a pastry chef, I'm fantasizing that you get to eat like the most delicious pastry ever (laughs) that that you don't drink or something. You're probably sick of pastries. Um, Natalie, do you have friends uh, to kind of walk alongside in this journey? Um, I guess a little bit more about me. Um, I moved to Philadelphia right before the pandemic. So making friends has been slightly difficult for me. And the only friends that I do have are people that I work with. It's just striking me, Natalie, you're talking about community and, you know, you're trying to form new community, which can be so hard. The benefit is you have an opportunity to create community with people for whom drinking isn't the only or primary way they want to connect. I think so often when we're in like entrenched communities, and maybe this is the case with your family, it's like drinking is so central to the relationship that if you take the drinking away, sometimes there's kind of nothing left. And you realize like, wow, th- these people and I just drank together. <laughs> that was like the the glue that kept us together. Um, and instead you have this opportunity to possibly meet people for whom that will never be a worry because you're kind of starting fresh with something more substantive at the center. Do you worry about the family piece of it? Because I think that can sometimes be the hardest part, Natalie. Um, I do drink when I go visit uh, my family. I I drink around them, but then I also get scolded at for drinking, which is kind (laughs) of confusing. Isn't that, it's such a double bind, right, Rosamond, in some families where they're like, have a drink, you're so uptight. And then they're like, you drink too much. What are you thinking? <laughs> like, you just like can't win, right? Yeah. It's like that saying, get drunk, but don't be a mess. Yeah. It's like a really, a really like fine line where it's like an acceptable amount of drinking. That's, that's the thing. Like, I don't know how to say it, where it's like to say, oh, I have a problem. Or just to say, hey, I'm actually trying to do this uh, for myself. I I don't know what their reaction is going to be. I personally found it easier to not go in with, I'm trying to drink less or I have a problem. I I found it easier to like turn up with a bottle of alcohol-free spirit or, you know, an, an alternative to the wine that I would normally have when I'm with my family and say, oh, look, I'm going to give this a go. I'm like, I'm trying to drink less and this is really delicious and blah, blah, blah. This is how you have it and approach it in a positive way rather than kind of make it feel like this is some difficult thing that I'm doing and I want to have a serious conversation about it. It's more like, oh, I'm trying this fun experiment. Join me. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Natalie, is there anything else lingering for you that you want to ask Rosamond? I guess one of my... biggest thing was trying not to be so hard on myself when there are days where or nights (laughs) where I do drink too much and I guess that's where I kind of want to focus at or that's a question to ask but I guess that feeling of feeling ashamed of yourself and not trying to accomplish things and I I feel like I don't have a sense of control overall. It is what you just said is so powerful because I think so many people feel shame around this and all of the evidence shows that shame never works when it comes to behaviour change. Nobody is ever shamed into changing their behaviour. You know, it's it, 
it's really much more powerful to be kind to yourself. And being kind to yourself is one of those things that's easy to say <laughs> and difficult to do. Um, but it's, I think it's about just letting go of, of aiming for progress over perfection because it's so easy to slide into this thing of waking up with a hangover, feeling shame around it. Time is a really important factor here because you lose so much time when you drink heavily because you lose whole parts of the evening from your memory and then you lose the next morning to a hangover. And if you wake up feeling like that, then it can be easy to think, oh, I've just, I failed. So now I might as well have a Bloody Mary with brunch. Like there's, there's, there's no other way. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's acknowledging that it's hard, aiming for progress over perfection. And when you cut down on your drinking, then you really have to feel all of your feelings because you don't have alcohol to numb them. And I know people drink for lots of different reasons, but it's quite often people drink to cope with difficult emotions like stress, anxiety, boredom, loneliness. And you just have to really, really feel those things and find other strategies to cope with them. It's something that takes time. And the, the more you do it, the more you will realize that you can. I hear that. <laughs> I really liked also what you said earlier, Rosamond, it was very brief, but you mentioned like riding the wave of an impulse, because mm. I think that gets to that point you're making about emotions. It's like, it's not actually easy or comfortable always to feel the emotion when you're choosing yeah. not to numb it with a drink. But then when you feel it, you get some really important information from it and live a more authentic life, which I know is Natalie, part of what you're after is really wanting to show up as yourself. So that's so beautiful. Natalie, was this helpful overall? Any Anything lingering for you? No, not really. <laughs> this was very helpful. Um, I wrote to you guys on such a like, I've been because I've been meaning to, to, and then once I click send, I'm like, holy shit, what have I done? <laughs> 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 and I'm just thankful and uh, for your time, Rosamond and Courtney, and I can't wait to see uh, how this impacts someone else out there. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being so brave, Natalie. I really honor that and appreciate it. And yes, like I said, you're not alone. I myself have tried to figure this out, and and that's the whole reason Rosamond wrote her book, right? <laughs> Is that we we write the book we need to read. So yes, um, and Rosamond, so grateful to you for your time and just your very level-headed, like practical insights, which I think lend themselves towards some real deep places, as practical as they are. You you have such a beautiful blend of the two. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And thank you, Natalie, for being so open. I, I really think it's going to help a lot of people to hear you talking so kind of vulnerably in that way. Thank you. All right. And Natalie, you have to keep us posted, okay? And there's no shame. No shame updates. I will. We will not accept any shame. <laughs> no shame. Once more, Rosamond Dean is the author of Mindful Drinking, How Cutting Down Can Change Your Life. We'll link to her book in the show notes. Do you have an email you know you should send to us even if you immediately think, what the hell have I done? Do it! We are the non-judgmental friends you've been craving. Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. 
and we might have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Joel Meyer is our senior editor. The show is produced by Rosemary Belson with Kevin Bendis. Merritt Jacob is senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. And Carvel Wallace is my co-host. I'm Courtney Martin. Thanks for listening. <laughs>